Wow. Okay. So it, it's that was that was good and that was right, but it is a, an awkward transition to go from joyful worship to a sad and <laughs> sad announcement like that. Um, but it, it connects to what 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 we have to talk about today, which is which is this. Um, I don't know. Those of you that have been around for a little while, you may have this sense that there's there's something in the air. There's there's something in the air, and for all kinds of reasons, for all kinds of reasons. A, from a rebooting of two thirds of our small church staff team. You know, uh, we're gonna. The Sunday is Darren, our children's coordinator's last Sunday. He'll come up at the end of service, and we'll kind of pray over him together. Uh, and that's the team. Myself. Uh, Josh, our pastor of communities, and Darren, our children's coordinator, that is the staff team as it currently exists. And it, uh, it is radically changing before our eyes. We don't know who's, who's going to be on that, who the Lord is going to bring to this team in the future. But that's a significant thing. Um, we're also coming to the near end of this long regathering process after an extended time of separation and fragmentation and disorientation. Um, for other reasons, like to, to looking around and seeing that on the other side of this time that we've had, this pandemic time, um, there are many new faces that have, that have made it into this community from when we started. Um, and there, there are many that are gone who were with us um, two years ago and some change. Furthermore, to this, there's a sense of kind of functioning in, in what I would call a kind of survival mode for the bulk of our life as a church. Um, and for many other reasons, I think there's, there's a feeling in the air that's been vocalized by many of you to me, and I assume many of you amongst yourselves, uh, that there's just something in the air. And, and maybe the, 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 to put a pin on it, maybe, maybe the, the central theme or central idea is that it's time to begin again. It's time to begin again. Let me back up. Um, some of you don't know, I assume, because I, I see some brand new faces here. But, but Door of Hope Northeast began just about two and a half years ago after a kind of a decade of vision casting on the part of Josh White and the leadership team at what was just Door of Hope originally, that's now Door of Hope Southeast. A vision to see new churches and communities planted around Portland, smaller ones, more neighborhood-centric, community-centric ones. And then years of planning what actually turned into what we have now in this family of churches and launching a distinct church community here in Northeast. Um, and then months of kind of praying together and gathering people, kind of deciding who is going to be a part of this thing when we start. Um, and while we had, we had community groups, uh-oh, thanks, Sam. While we had community groups going for, for months before the, before the launch of our first worship service, um, we had our first worship gathering on March 1st, 2020. And then we had our second worship gathering on March 8th, 2020. And then we did not have a third <laughs> worship gathering. No third. Uh, that was whenever COVID took over the world. The, the COVID pandemic took nearly every plan we had made, um, every, I should say nearly every plan we had made and many of the hopes that we were carrying and made them impossible. <laughs> for a time. Um, for a few months, I, I genuinely wondered um, if this community was going to make it. You start a brand new church, and then two weeks into its formal establishment, <laughs> you're like distanced. It's actually unsafe and irresponsible to be together 
in a church whose, whose vision was fundamentally oriented around building a, f- a f- familial community. That's hard. That was really hard. Um, for a few months, I wondered if we'd make it. I wondered if we were going to stay committed to one another enough to have anything left on the other side. If, if the story that God was going to tell through Door of Hope Northeast wasn't one of health and success, even by modest metrics, but if the story he wanted to tell in his providence was actually one of failure and disappointment. Sometimes that's his plan, that we aren't promised that any individual church makes it. That's never a promise. All we can do is be faithful in the meantime, and if if disappointment was on the other side, we would have to come to terms with that and trust that God is still good. But as, as so many of us have celebrated, God did keep us together. Hey, we're still here. We're still doing it. We're a church. We're a church. We're a community. He's done it. Um, We've seen so many things. We've seen people deepen their love for Jesus. We've seen people come to Jesus. We've seen relationships formed. We've seen connections strengthened. We've seen needs met. We've seen faith and hope and love grown. We've carried one another through difficult times. Some of you have been the direct beneficiaries of that. I have. Some of you know. I alluded to this last week, but I have no idea how widely this email went out that Josh (laughs) sent to everybody, but a lot of you know, like I've been in kind of a dark summer, um, discouraged, and it's been related to church things, and some of of the announcements we're talking about now, just discouragement over that, some of it's been related to just more personal, like family stuff, and so on and on, and many of you in seasons like that, and in particular in this season, have stepped in and like carried me along. You've like supplied the faith that I needed and the encouragement that I needed to kind of keep moving forward with hope and with optimism tethered to Jesus. So thank you. Some of you wrote letters to thank you. I'm going to get back to everybody individually, but I just want to say if, you, if, you've, if you've tried to encourage me, I, it's been needed and it's been like wind in the sails deeply. So th- thank you. Thank you so much. And that's not just the case for me or my family. I know it's been the case for many of you here as well. So there's much to celebrate. There's much to celebrate. God has been good to us. God has been at work among us. And nothing I'm about to say this morning is to denigrate any of that or or, or any of us for anything we have done or haven't done. We have much to celebrate. Full stop. And, and, at the same time, there have been difficulties It was agonizing, again, for a church with a community-centric vision to need to socially distance, to tread carefully into resuming being together, not just in large groups, but even in small groups, to watch people struggle mentally and spiritually in isolation, to watch people lose loved ones to the virus, to watch people fear for their children's safety, to watch people get sick sometimes in severe or with long-haul unrelenting symptoms. I know that's some of you in this room. You've told me. You've told me. To see people we love decide to move out of the city altogether. And that's not a moral statement. There's absolutely nothing wrong with moving out of Portland. But for those of us who are here, it's pain. It's painful. Uh, Also, to see people decide that this church or or, or this group of people, um, or gosh, sometimes this this pastor um, just just isn't... uh, just can't offer what was needed during these dark days. Or to see people come to the realization that that they didn't actually want Jesus or his church at all, most tragically. And this is to say nothing of the various other (laughs) 
racial, political, economic, cultural issues that I'm guessing have pained, have pained each one of us deeply at some point or another. Maybe at all of those points, you've been racked with pain and grief and anxiety over these things. So let me sum it up this way. After two and a half years of life together at Door of Hope Northeast, there is much to celebrate and may we celebrate it. And there is much to grieve at the same time. We've been through a lot. Let me preface what I'm about to say um, by, saying, by saying this. Caution and sacrifice for the common good is crucially important. Given what we knew and what resources were available to mitigate the pandemic at the time, I do not know that there's much that I would have changed about how we responded as a community in the big picture. And there are still people, some of you in this room, possibly. Well, I, not possibly, I know you. I know there are some people in this room um, who, who have uh, sort of the, the kinds of pre-existing conditions or are taking care of the people who do that mean you have to continue to be vigilant and you have to continue to be cautious. And we want to empower you and encourage you to do that. Um, while COVID-19, if we can, we can name it, and we can praise God for this. We don't have to overly politicize this. Like, while it is the case that COVID-19 has become more akin to something like a mild flu for the majority of people, it is still very dangerous to particular groups who need to be considered and loved and cared for. It's my disclaimer. All that said, what I want to highlight right now is that we just cannot ignore. That can all be true. It can all be true. And we can't ignore some of the ways in which we have all been formed, like formed by the adjustments we've had to make to life in the pandemic. Not for everyone, but for so many of us, we got used to so much of our lives being mediated through screens. FaceTime and Zoom replaced flesh and blood interaction. Netflix became our window to the world. Home offices and DoorDash took us from flesh and blood relationship with our coworkers and neighbors altogether, at least for a time. Ordering things to be delivered to our homes or to be sat in our cars did the same. We were conditioned, and for a time I think it was right and good, but, but hear this, we were conditioned to see distance and separation and aloneness as virtues. Face-to-face -face interactions with anyone outside of our families were, were preempted for us by the, you know, the way that society kind of responded. But more than that, pursuing people in these more intimate ways actually became tinged with a hint of shame. You remember that experience? Where you're like, I want to hang out with this person, but I better not let my coworkers find out that I like hung out with someone. I had them into my house. You know that feeling. You're like, well, t well, they're in my bubble. They're in my bubble. So like, it's my bubble. So it's, it's fine. But all, you know, the mental, like the mental toll it took of like even just making space to sit face to face with someone, that shapes you. That shapes you. And that's not COVID denialism. That's, um, that's something else. We're, we're, we're talking now about the unintended consequences of some of the perhaps very wise things we were doing to take care of a very real issue. For many churches across the world, I, I think ours included, and I'll just speak for myself, I know it's, I know it's the case for me as, as, as a person, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a friend. I, I, I can see this now for myself. There was a shift for, for a time from, from pursuing thriving community, thriving communal life, 
to merely surviving communal life. The shift from, I, I, I want to full-heartedly go after Jesus' vision for the church, the family of God, life together, to what can I do to just make sure that this thing doesn't dissolve and fall apart? It might be a subtle shift, but it's a significant shift. That was my story, at least. And again, self-sacrifice to protect our healthcare system and the most vulnerable neighbors is, was and is right and good, but we, we now find ourselves in a day when the risk calculus has really shifted for, for the majority of people. The majority of people have basically become comfortable with the risks of life, very similar to pre-pandemic, once again. And so we can acknowledge the ways we've been shaped away from a truly familial, communal, intimate way of being with one another. I remember when we, when we started, I have such an aversion to video service and all that kind of stuff and online church stuff. And I remember when the pandemic started, we were like, we're not doing any of that. This is just going to be two weeks to slow the curb, you know, cur- <laughs> flatten the curb. Um, so we, we opted instead of trying to, you know, reproduce anything like Sunday uh, through video format. We said, why don't we just have people record these devotionals in their homes and we'll put them on the church podcast. And many of you contributed to that. And it was awesome to just hear a, a diversity of voices for, I don't know, two months or something before we kind of shifted, shifted mediums. Um, but I remember almost every one of those little podcast episodes and every time I would email with someone or call someone and talk, but this was the common refrain. Man, I just can't wait until we can be together again. I cannot wait. It is going to be so sweet when we can be together again. But as reality has sat in, and there, there wasn't some like, you know, victory, victory day over COVID where it was just like, pandemic's over, done, Every, life is back to normal. That, that never happened. I'm not sure if it ever is going to happen in that sense. As reality sat in, it's become clear that it, it's, reality is now more fragmented than we'd imagined. And I could disclaim this a million ways, but I, I trust by now, I've, I've disclaimed enough, you, I trust that you know my heart and, and know where all the qualifiers and exceptions would be to this statement, so I'm just going to get to it. I, I believe it's time for us to move from pursuing survival to flourishing. Um, from, from safety, and again, <laughs> I don't mean that in absolute term, I trust you take my meaning here, but to move from safety to sacrifice, to move from caution to boldness, to move from casual to committed. It's time to throw ourselves, to throw ourselves again after everything that God has called us to be together. Amen? So for the next three weeks, today, two more weeks, we're going to talk about what I would just call three essential identities that flow out of our, our central identity of what we talked about. We've been talking about in our Holy Spirit series. Mm-hmm. Fundamental identity is a beloved, a loved, a loved, if you're in Christ, a loved child of God. That's your fundamental identity. But these three identities that flow out of that are secondary to that are one. These are for us as a community together. As one, as a family, as we'll talk about this week, Second is learners, and third is witnesses. And we'll talk. I think each of these kind of becomes a tool for the other. I, I think in, you pull any of these apart from the other and they lose their effectiveness. They all work together. We'll, we'll explain how. So today we're going to talk about family, moving into this boldness as a family. 
Before we move any further, let's just pray. Let's just pray. God, we, we love you. And um, Lord, the last few, few years have just been a gargantuan task for, for, for all of us, Lord, just, just figuring out what does faithfulness look like during this time? What does it mean, to, to, to use the old phrase, to, <laughs> to ask the question, what would Jesus do faced with the circumstances we've been faced with? Lord, we, I assume we've gotten things wrong. I assume we've gotten hopefully a couple of them right. In the end, what's past is past, and, and we ask the question again anew today. What does faithfulness look, look like right now in this moment? September 2022. And Lord, that, there's a different answer perhaps for each of our circumstances and family arrangements and everything else. But the question has to be asked nonetheless. Lord, we, we, just, we ask you to guide us over these coming weeks, Father, to, to give us a passion and a vision for what could be, Lord. Moving not just from surviving, trying to, trying to keep a church together, but to seeing a church blossom into all that it could possibly be according to your spirit, Lord. That's what we want. Help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first, family. In the beginning, God created Adam. Adam, you know the story. Eventually, he declared, it is not good for man to be alone. Communal life, in, for, for most of human history, <laughs> has oriented around small villages, fires, long walks, chores together. Many places in the world, no doors, no locks kind of intimacy that we, we could hardly imagine. And it's shifted, I mean, there have been a lot of years of human history, but, but there have been many things that have shifted it radically and dramatically in the last century plus. One of those was the Industrial Revolution. One of those was the internet. One of those was, the, I think, the COVID pandemic. And I think what we're, we're at risk of losing is something essential, essential to our joy essential to our health, essential to our spirituality, essential to our lives, if we allow ourselves to be formed away from community. So I, I have four, four phrases to kind of tee up, tee up this idea of family. First is this, is that church means family. Church means family. This passage that Josh taught for us, uh, gosh, a couple months ago, some of you don't know, we're, we're the main agenda for our, our last year and a half or so has been working through the gospel according to Mark, and we're going to resume that immediately after these three weeks. Uh, but a few months ago, Josh taught us from Mark 10 uh, the story of the rich young ruler and then Peter's conversation with Jesus after. Just listen to this. Mark 10, 28. Peter said to Jesus, see, we have left everything and followed, followed you. He's contrasting himself with the rich young ruler who had to depart. We've left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What Jesus is saying is that yes, following me is costly. It's costly. 
And it may mean losing relationship with your earthly family. I mean, we don't want that. We don't desire that. But it may, it may, that may be what it means for the sake of the gospel. But he says, there's no one who does these things for me, who has to leave these relationships. Listen to this. Who will not receive a hundredfold. So there's going to be a lot more now in this time. He, he's not talking about the new creation. He's not talking about eternity. He's not talking about the life to come, although it will be even truer then. But he's saying now, like, like now, this life, you, will re- you can receive a hundredfold of these things. What is he talking about? He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church, brothers and sisters and mothers and children, spiritual family. Uh, Theologian Joseph Hellerman, he's, he, he was writing about in this great book called When the Church Was a Family. He, he writes about the features of the average family in the New Testament world. He says the family was everyone's primary relational allegiance and source of their identity. The family came first. People regularly placed the good of the family over their own personal desires and goals. Interestingly, the closest, the closest same generation family bond was between siblings, brothers and sisters between siblings. And the family provided the surest basis for security and stability. So when Jesus says, this is my vision for the church, mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and children, when Paul addresses every church he writes to as brothers and sisters, they're not arbitrarily doing that. They're not doing it because it's cute. They're not doing it because, oh, this is kind of a clever little thing. They're saying, this is family. And not kind of half-baked, familial, loosey-goosey ideas that we have now, like this kind of family, the kind they would have all had grown up in and understood the gravity of. He says, this is even deeper. This is an even deeper family. You know, churches across our country were more and more embracing increasingly digital expressions over the past decade. But the COVID pandemic accelerated it. I mean, there is no way we would have a live stream going it had not been for COVID. And we still have it. Hey, live stream people, <laughs> we are glad, we are glad that you can participate that way. It's good. We probably won't have it forever. Um, but it is good that we have it. And, and uh, if you're watching from afar, it's not safe for you to be here right now. Just know we love you. And we want to continue to make you feel welcome here and a part of what's happening. But nonetheless, it accelerated digital church. We live in an age, man, where you can live stream any church's, you know, service or watch it later. The best sermons preached can be compiled into playlists on YouTube. Subscribe to your favorite preachers, your favorite uh, theologians, whoever. And I think that's all a blessing. That's good. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But we have to, it forces us to ask the question, what do we get here that we don't get there? Here's a hint. It's not the best preaching. <laughs> it's, it's not. It's not. You know that. It might be the best music. I'm not sure. <laughs> I love our worship leaders so much. It's not the best music. It's not the best preaching. It's not the best program. It's not the most articulate way of putting things. What do you get from being rooted in an actual, local, embodied church 
that a video or a podcast can't give you. I'll tell you what, knowing and being known. Crying with someone, celebrating with someone. Standing shoulder to shoulder when tragedy strikes. Having your needs met by people who care. Having your, your faults and your sin and your mistakes pointed out. You might follow Jesus more closely. Hearing people up here, and hopefully, gosh, there's an urgency now uh, with Josh on the way out for us to have more. The goal has always been for to be many people from our community that occasionally come up here and preach and we hear from a greater diversity of voices. We, we, we need you, people. <laughs> we need you. <laughs> I'm not doing it every week. And not just that, I, I need to hear from you. And these, your, your, your brothers and sisters do too. But it's hearing from people who actually know you. And then whenever you have a question, you can say, hey, I don't get that. Or whenever you have a problem, say, hey, I don't think you're right there. Whenever you're just lost, like, hey, I just, I just need someone to talk to. That's what this is, friends. You should subscribe to great podcasts. I do. I listen to great sermons all the time. They encourage me. They edify me. Um, what a blessing. What a blessing. But Tim Keller is never going to be my pastor. He never will be. I would love that. He's not even a pastor anymore, actually. He retired. He retired. These people can't be our pastors. They can't love us. They can't serve us. They can't know us. They can't challenge us. They can't help us. Not in these kinds of ways. We only get that here. We only get that here. Church means family. There's a reason why the New Testament authors and Jesus himself choose the language of brother and sister as the fundamental image for what this is, for what we're doing here. Second, community means proximity. Community means proximity. And I've done this before. I feel like it's been a year and a half or so. It's time to do it again. Look at this. This is a lot here. But this is, I'm always just reading this encourages me so much. What this is is a list of 61 passages, just phrases where, where this happens, 61 phrases from the New Testament that use the phrase, they use the, a couple of Greek words for one another or each other. These are the 61 passages basically where the New Testament authors are talking about life together in the church. What does it consist of? And when you just read them all in a line, you, I, I, the weight of it is staggering. So I'm, I'm just going to read this. This starts in, in Mark and ends in, uh, is there any in Revelation? Nope, Second John. So just listen, listen to this. This will take a minute, but hear this. The New Testament's one another passages about Christian fellowship. Here we go. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. I'm, it, that's because they repeat. Uh, you get that? Okay. <laughs> Not dramatic emphasis. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in, live in harmony with one another. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. To live in such harmony with one another. 
Accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Serve one another in love. Don't keep on biting and devouring each other. Not conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Carrying each other's burdens. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Submit to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual, sorry, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Do not lie to each other. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever you may have against one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. Love each other. Encourage each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Encourage one another daily. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not neglecting to meet together. Encourage one another. Do not slander one another. Don't grumble against each other. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Love one another deep, earnestly from a pure heart. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each should use whatever gift to serve others. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Greet one another with a kiss of love. And then these all come from John's, John's letters. Love one another. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. We're obviously not going to unpack all of these. It's enough now for them to just wash over us. What I want to highlight right now is that taken together, you hear that list read, we cannot escape the sense that this kind of life that the New Testament pictures. It requires proximity. It requires closeness. You cannot live that out separated from one another. You cannot live that out at a distance. It just, it can't be, you can try. You can get facsimiles of it maybe, but you can't live that out. It requires time spent together face to face. We have, we're in this unique moment as a church where, as I said, you know, over the last two years, and I, I'm, you know, the, the staff here are kind of at a fulcrum point where we hear, like, oftentimes when people decide to leave the church, they'll, they'll tell me, usually, email me or something or call me, but you don't know. You often don't know. I'm not going to make an announcement. <clears throat> Brenda has left Northeast. <laughs> That's how we should start our services. No, but, but you don't know. You don't know. And not everyone is here. I got, I got some, some really guilty emails. I'm so sorry. I know you wanted me to be there this Sunday, but I, we're going camping. That is okay. That is okay. No sweat. But my point is this. We're in a moment now where we, half of us don't even know. Like, who is part of this community? Is that person that I remember worshiping with two years ago, are they still here? Or are they not? Are they part of this thing? Are they shoulder to shoulder with me now? And who are these new people? What are they about? What are they into? How do I get to know them? How do I build community? How do we reforge ourselves as this kind of family? Well, it takes proximity. We have to know one another.
third idea is this, and we'll just flow out of what's already been, already been read. You, you get the sense when you read through all those things that intimacy means risk. I don't want to sand the sharp edges off of Jesus' vision for the church. It means risk. It means a guarantee of some amount of pain at some point or another. If you embrace Jesus' vision to have intimacy with lots of people in the family of God, you will find disagreements. You will find differing worldviews. God help us. I hope it's increasingly the case. You will find diverse histories and backgrounds and family cultures and like the ways that which your racial identity is related to, to your life and how you've, how you've grown up. We need all of these things to come together to be the picture of the church that God, God wants us to be. And here, and again, but it's, it's going to cause issues. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It means risk. Opening up yourself to someone always comes with the, the risk of being rejected. In, immediately or five years down the road. Ah, oh, but I opened myself up to you so much and poured out so much and was there for you and, and now you're gone. We've all experienced that in all kinds of relationships. The church is not immune to it. Scott McKnight said this in his book on community, A Fellowship of Difference. He said, love is a great idea until the one you're called to love happens to be unlike you. Love is a great idea until you discover who your neighbors actually are. Love is a great idea until you see who actually attends your church. Love is a great idea until your kids go ballistic. Love is a great idea until your house floods because someone left the sink running. Love is a great idea until you see who sits next to you at the church on Sunday morning. And he goes on. He's putting his thumb on something there. We love the abstract notion of love. It is hard to really do it. It's costly. It's painful. The more you open yourself up, the more able you are to be hurt. But the church is meant to be a group of people who have counted that cost and have said, we'll pay it. We will pay it even still. We will pay it even still because what Jesus is building is worth it. So we're not papering over it. We just acknowledge it. Intimacy means risk. A fourth thing I want to say is this. Small means opportunity. Small means opportunity. Um, interestingly, just to tell you something about the way my brain is wired, I have, a, I have a spreadsheet on my computer that basically charts everyone who is like a committed part of this church and uh, color-coded sometimes with different little, little things. It was basically to keep track of who, who, you know, we don't have formalized membership here. And feel free to ask me why another time. Maybe we will at some point in the future. I don't know. We don't right now. Um, but it's, here's the list of who, who currently, as the best we can tell, is a committed part. This is the community of Door of Hope Northeast. And it's a Google Sheet, so it means I can go back and edit all the way back to January 2020 before we started. It's the same spreadsheet I used when people were telling me, like, hey, I'm interested in I might be a part of this or whatever. Interestingly, we have basically, basically 120 committed adults and around 50 children, which is a lot of children for a church our size. <laughs> That's a lot of children. 
That is almost the exact number that we started with. <laughs> it's almost the exact number that we started with. Which once again for me re reinforces the sense of like, oh my gosh, like this, this is, this is a, a fresh beginning for us. But more, more importantly than, than just who, you know, who cares how many people we started with, um, there, there's some, some sociologists and some thinkers who, who've, who've done some work on this idea. Um, there, there was a thinker named Dunbar. You may have heard this. Dunbar's number. I forget his first name. I didn't write it down. Some of you might know, but it's all right. You can, you can Google Dunbar's number and get the info. But basically, he charted like uh, the average person, and it's a little bit more for extroverts, maybe a little bit less for introverts, but the, ba the average person is capable of about 150 relationships. Um, but those are kind of the outer limit of what you'd call it. They could have more acquaintances than that, people they'd recognize, people they might, you know, like a Facebook post or something. Um, but about 150 people that are like, I, I, I know this person to some degree. I don't see them very often, I don't talk to them very often, but I know this person. And then within that, there are smaller and smaller groups uh, that, that, are, that get closer and closer. There's usually about 50 people that can kind of make up what, what some would call like a tribe, people that you just really know and have like that kind of next level connection with. And then probably around five or six that, are, that kind of form your inner core of people that like you're talking to perhaps daily, certainly weekly, people that you're like, these are the people that you're really doing life with. And it's okay. Like, we should all acknowledge that is okay. You're going to have best friends. You're going to have people you're closest with. At this church, too, we're not all called to the equal depth of relationship with everyone here. It would be impossible. But what's really interesting is that, you know, there's nothing gospel about this number 150, but I think it's really, really fascinating um, that as much sociological data has borne this out about the way factories work and the way communities work and the way office buildings work, A small church uniquely has the ability to create a kind of community where everyone has some baseline level of relationship and knowledge of the other. Like, you see, in a church of a thousand, the, 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 the capacity you have to know, to know anyone in any way is like, what, you, you know about maybe 10% at all? In a church, around 150 people or less, you have the capacity to know everybody to know everybody. Not at the same depth, of course, not at the same depth. But can you imagine what kind of community would be if we took, took that opportunity seriously and said, you know, some of us are like, I wish we had more people around, I, you know, maybe we'd be able to do this program or that, maybe we'd have more staff to pull off this thing or that, and yes, those things would be nice, but rather than grumbling about those things, I just challenge us to say, what is the opportunity sitting right in front of us because of how the Lord has Put this church together right now at this season of time. Very well maybe in five years, we're 50 people smaller. What will be the opportunities then? It might be in five years, we're a thousand people. What will be the opportunities then? But don't miss the opportunities we have right now. Coincidentally, I would just say, I think this number should give some credence to the idea of like, we want to continue to plant churches. Like that, that will always be our vision. We, we do not want to just build bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more services. I think in some ways, right, we, we haven't processed this in any formal way. I'm like, if we outgrow this morning, this service, this room holds about 250 people, this, this auditorium. There's about 250 chairs in here. If we outgrow this, I think that, you know, we need to move to a second service. Let's move to a second service, but let's take that immediately as a mandate that it's time to plant. It's time. It's time to plant.
because we're building communities. We're not building spectatorships. So small means opportunity, and, and that comes in a variety of places. I just want to just frame like, the activities that happen around our church. One is the Sunday gathering here. We try to use the word gathering to communicate more accurately what's happening rather than service. We don't want you to view this as the pastor offering some service to you primarily. I want you to feel served, of course, with the word fundamentally. But it's a gather. This is pulling our whole church. It's designed to be pulling our whole church together once a week to be together, to come under the scriptures together, to praise God together, to see one another, to get, you know, headbutted in the crotch by one another's kids or whatever. All of it, the good and the bad. To sing praises, to hear the scriptures, to hear the good news, to take communion, to serve one another in various ways, to pray, to do all these things, specifically, crucially, together. To do them together. And so I want all of us to view every time we gather, like our, our church is not fundamental, like, like Sunday morning is not the only thing that this church is about. But it is a crucial aspect, and it's the one opportunity we have every week to all be together. I think we should take it, friends, as best as we can. And things always come up. Things always come up. Sickness abounds. Travel is important. Getting away is good. I hope that all goes without saying. But to really view this as an, an anchor point in our weeks and in our lives. To come early, to meet some new people, to stay late, to hang out, invite somebody to lunch. You view this not just as a time to come and get some information, but as a time to build the community of this church. But of course, it's not just Sunday. We ask you to commit to regular presence here on Sundays, but we also ask everyone who calls this church home to commit to community groups. And we recognize that it's, it's difficult for us to get into the kind of proximity with one another necessary to actually live out these commands. It, it, it's just, it's so hard to do how to actually love one another in practical terms the way the Bible speaks of. So for us, community groups are, you know, they're not the end-all, be-all methodology, but they're a way. They are, they're our way that we've said we're going to try to get people in these smaller hubs where you can actually hear one another's stories, pray for one another weekly. And I, I you know, you can scoff at community groups like, oh yeah, that's like an awkward meeting where we go and, you know, <laughs> it's weird. And I never, you know, I'm always like dreading it when I go and, you know, we can, we can paint it an overly negative picture. And, uh, you know, and it's not really as deep as I would like and whatever. But I ask you this, who else do you spend two hours a, every week with? Period, A, like in that kind of focused intimacy. And then B, like discussing the things of Jesus and opening the scriptures together. Where else? What's your plan? <laughs> you know, you know? We can all recognize the limitation of a formal community group setting, but may we not, may we not dismiss it and the power. Some of you, some of your deepest friendships in this room have formed out of community groups. I'll just hear, anyone, anyone say one of some of your closest friends have come out of community group experience? <laughs> Who'd you say? Ryan? He's back there. <laughs> that's like the whole room. Friends, that's what it's about. And every group is going to, some groups are going to be better experiences than others. That's why we, we do them for nine months, then we take a break. We have an opportunity to kind of reset, try a new group. But here's the thing. Here's the way it works. You come to church, 
and you try to be proactive. Right now, like, view this as a restart. There's no inner circle here. There's no like inner backroom group that you know, the, the Illuminati isn't here, like pulling the strings and like, like every one of us is responsible for welcoming new people, new people that came in today. And you never know. Like sometimes you're like, how long have you been around Dwarf Hope? Twelve years. And you're like, oh, me too, and we've never met. That's weird. But then other times you're like, oh, I'm new. I've only been here for a month, and that person says, I've only been here for thirty minutes. Like, we just all take the responsibility to, to welcome people in, whether we've been here long or short or whatever. We do that on Sunday, and then we, we, we commit to these small groups, these small group opportunities to really be known and to see what God does with them. And, and usually what happens is from each of those groups, you might find one or two people that you just really connect with. And maybe you'll be in another group with them, maybe you won't. But they kind of just become part of that inner circle core and over time, a church, you know, 150 people or whatever, 300 people or whatever, begins to feel really small. And you look around and be like, I've been in small groups with like 70 of these people. I know these people. I'm not close to them anymore or whatever, but I know who they are. I care about them. If tragedy strikes, I'm going to be motivated to step in. That's the plan. And then, of course, there's all kinds of other things that go on around the church. Other programs, meetings, book clubs, service opportunities, and just the organic things that you just do and start. Ideas that you share, people come up and share on a Sunday. But more than that, just, hey, we're having a barbecue or we're hanging out or whatever. Or go get lunch or whatever it is. Seize it, friends. May we seize it. So to close. I debated sharing the story because it, it, it's really intense and I, I didn't want it to, to feel manipulative or, and I know it, it hits particularly home, close to home for some of us. But there's a, there's a writer uh, named Jonathan Charks. I hadn't written, written anything that I know of that he had read. He writes for the sports and pop culture website called The Ringer, um, which I check occasionally. And a few months ago, he wrote this article where he basically disclosed, he still writes about sports and stuff for, for the website. But this article that they published was, was called this. It was called, Does My Son Know You? And I started reading this article and he was basically, it starts with him basically saying, I've, I've been diagnosed with this extremely rare form of cancer that, uh, that is going to kill me and, and it, it, probably in a couple of years. Probably in a couple of years. And he's talking about the excruciating process of you know, working through uh, treatments and, you know, the news he's getting and how he's processing with his family and his friends. But on, on this, there's not a Christian website. The, the, the article takes this turn and he's talking about, um, like, how he, he's realized, given the severity of his situation, and he has a young, a young son at home, he realized, like, the, the only thing he can do right now to set his son up for success is to invest in his relationships at church. He said, there are, there are men and women at my church who've begun to know us and know my son. And these are the people that I'm praying I can make the kind of investment in that when I'm gone, and I will be, I will be gone soon. They're the ones that are going to be in his games. They're the ones that are going to be cheering him on. They're the ones he's going to brag about his grades to. They're the ones that are going to bring meals over. My son is going to grow up, God willing, and he's going to be like, why are all these men like, investing in me? 
we're not all parents, and, and I trust you understand this sentiment doesn't just apply to parenthood. I was knocked over reading this article. I was like, oh my gosh, that's one of the most profound ways I've, I've ever heard Christian community described. But that's it right there. That's what's at stake. Maybe not what's at stake. That's the opportunity we all have. Not just when tragedy strikes. Tragedy will strike some of us. But if tragedy doesn't strike, that we're building the kinds of relationships that we say, I know you, you know me, you know my family, you're taking care of my kids downstairs once a month. We've been in small groups together. Your kid poured orange juice on my couch and ruined it, and I was ticked. <laughs> but that's okay. Now it's a funny story. And we're building this, we're, we're threading, we're weaving together a cord that can't be broken. Not just because it's done with our human, human effort, but because the Spirit of God has been knitting us together. We've been giving Him the opportunity to do so. That's the vision. That's the opportunity that's before us, Door of Hope Northeast. That's the vision that's before us. We're called to be a family. In Jesus' wisdom, he has designed things such that as he saves people from their sin, as he offers forgiveness and grace and mercy, he saves them not into a vacuum, but into a family. That whatever they lose, we hope it's not much, but if they do lose, if they do lose, in this life, here and now, they will still have mothers and brothers and sons and daughters and sisters and children and brothers. And it will be a foretaste of that communal life we have together with all the people of God across all the branches of Christianity. Everyone who's genuinely bent the knee to Jesus will all be together and we'll have eternity to keep deepening this. But in the here and now, in Portland in 2022, this is what we have, friends. Let's pursue it. Amen? Amen.